The power of talking to ourselves. Imagine if that head trash was not there. Who would you be? What if I told you those fears were no longer a problem? What would you do? I am Stephanie, a mother of three, wife, and avid mountain climber. Beyond all of these, I am very much like you, an average person trying to navigate this thing we call life. My goal with this podcast is to bring to light the truth about what intimacy really is. You may smile, feel called out, or learn something new. Either way, you will learn you are in control. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing to you Dr. Robin Buckley. She graduated with her doctorate in clinical psychology from Hofstra University with a specialization in cognitive behavioral therapy. She currently owns Insight Group Psychological Services in Rye, New Hampshire, where she works as an executive and life coach. Robin's work focuses on two populations, women who are looking to achieve personal and professional goals through efficient and empowering strategies, and couples who are looking to improve their relationship through specific objective goals and strategies. She lives in Maine with her best friend and co-worker, whom she also happens to be married to, two of their combined four children, and their two German shepherds. Welcome, Ms. Dr. Robin, to the Intimacy Truths Podcast. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm thrilled to be here. You're very welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to talk about the power of talking to ourselves. So please tell us how you got into this journey for yourself. So certainly my training in clinical psychology got me to where I am, but it's the understanding that so much, particularly for women, so much of what we believe is what we've created. And some of it goes back to how we talk to ourselves, the words we use. And my personal journey was just getting to that point where I finally allowed myself to acknowledge what I truly wanted, not what I needed, not what I should be doing, but what I wanted. And it took longer than I wish it had, but now that I'm there, it's it's an, a good, wonderful place to just say, okay, what I want actually does affect the people around me. So when I'm making choices that are making me happy or making me feel satisfied that aren't associated with shame or guilt or you know the the societal constructs of what we should be doing the people around me actually benefit whether it's my kids or my spouse or my friends or my clients because I'm happy and satisfied. So that's going to translate into the work I do. Absolutely. I know for myself, my journey started when I was 13 and I had a really significant experience, uh, near death experience. And for me, that was like, I'm just not on the path that I want to be on. And no one is going to do this for me. Uh, no one but me is going to be able to make this significant change. So, uh, when it comes to talking to yourself and the things that we say and the power of the, the way that we communicate internally is, is super, um, either good or bad, depending on the, in the path that we take. Yep. You know, it's amazing to me, particularly again, you know, I, so much of the work I do is either, uh, is predominantly with, with females. Um, mm-hmm. and then certainly sometimes that rolls over into couples work because females do tend to drive yeah. when couples come in to try and, uh, recreate or strengthen their relationship. And it is amazing how often women don't even realize the words they're using that are creating their own 
negativity or feelings of just not being where they're at. So one of the, the very first steps that I do with, with the clients I work with is paying attention to the words that they're using. How often do they say things like, oh, I really should do this, or I have to do this, or I need to do this. And helping them realize that those are words that create pressure, stress, and guilt and shame. And nobody wants that. As soon as, you know, as soon as we talk about that, people are like, no, I don't, I don't want to feel any of those. I, I, I don't want other people creating that for, for me. But yet most of it starts in our own heads and the, the feelings that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so a really easy shift for individuals, whether it's my clients or just in general, is changing every time we catch ourselves saying those words, those specific words, need, have to, must, and should. Shoulds, can'ts, won'ts, wouldn'ts. Exactly. All of those. It's two words, either want or will. What do you want to do or what will you do? So the women I work with will uh, very often, we use the idea of of exercise or, or physical movement. And I'm, 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 you know, I'll say to them, well, why, why do you want to work out? And 90% will say, I don't want to work out. Like who wants to work out? And I say, okay, then why do you? And they'll say things like, well, I, I want to be stronger, or mm-hmm. I want to make sure I don't have a heart attack. Like my parents did at you know my age, or I want to be a role model to my kids. And, you know, sometimes it does come up or I want to look a certain way. And that's not for me to judge. And I said, okay, so you will work out because you want to be stronger. That becomes something that's under their control. That's something that they're choosing rather than that's being forced upon them by some, you know, supposedly external source that's really their internal voice. So yes. it's amazing to watch when when people adopt that idea of want and will and how it can change it, it just it, almost immediately how they view certain things in their life. Absolutely. One of the things I talk about too is uh, I get to instead of uh, I will, or I need to, and also I'm preparing to, or I'm working on, right? So there's that inspiration. One of the things I also uh, believe in myself is motivation is crap. Motivation is fed by fear. It, you you motivate your sp- yourself by getting yourself in, your boss motivates you and he says, do your job, or she says, do your job or you get fired, right? That's motivation. Where inspiration comes from the soul, it comes from a whole different place. And so when you're shifting your language away from I can'ts and I won'ts or I coulds or I shoulds or all of those, you know, non-action uh, oriented words, that's all a lot of the fear-based thinking that we in society and in media instills into our human brains um, day in and day out. Whereas when we shift and we do that growth mindset, two books that are coming to mind in this conversation, uh, the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, Dr. Carol Dweck, amazing book, and then um, Atomic Habits. And I don't remember the author for that book, but recently I've been reading that book and he talks about when we're, um, when we're making these behavior changes and we're making these shifts, we say, um, I will behavior at time in location. Mm-hmm. And when we're able to set those very specific things, one of the examples he gives is he was trying to integrate push-ups into his life and wanted to give himself like a push-up challenge. And he said, I'm going to do it at lunchtime every day for a week. He realized, or I think that's what he said about a week. He didn't do his push-ups, and it was because he didn't give himself a more specific. So then he switched it to I'm going to do my push-ups before I go eat lunch, after I close my laptop at my desk. So Mm -hmm. the time's already spoken about because it's at 
before lunch and after he closes his laptop. And that's when he started to become successful because he really integrated that internal talk and setting up your behaviors um, to, for success by organizing the thought of what it's going to look like and, and the time of day and everything makes it so much more um, easy to integrate. Right. I think one of the things also building into that, Stephanie, is the idea of um, of not berating yourself when yeah. the objective isn't achieved. So I, I just got off a call with a client and she picked uh, three objectives for her week, one in her personal life, one in her professional life in a category she calls miscellaneous. And the reminder was, okay, there's two goals for the week. The objectives you've identified, the specific behaviors, but then there's two goals. The first goal is to pay attention to how often she hit each of those objectives, knowing that if she just did one objective once during the week, that was progress because she hadn't done any of them the week before. So she still, you know, she decided she wanted to do one of the things, for example, three times during the week. I said, okay, so if you do it once, you've achieved your goal. 33% of your goal has been achieved. And that's more than the 0% the week before. That's success. That's progress. And if you don't, let's just say you you, you don't do any of them for the, the week, that gives us an opportunity to evaluate and analyze why. Why didn't it happen? Because maybe, you know, in your example of the push-ups, maybe lunchtime just gets crazy for that individual. And they, they, they think in their brain, logically, that's a good time. But when in reality, it actually isn't a good time. It just seems like a good time. Mm-hmm. So that reflection piece, that evaluation piece, to me is such an important part of learning what actually works for us. What, what you know, instead of saying, but morning should work for us, again, that word, Okay, but if it's if you didn't do it all week, then morning probably isn't the right time. Or what's getting in the way of the morning routine? Or it, it's it's that ability. You know, we do it in our work lives that we have for most jobs one time at least once a year where we're going to evaluate how things yeah. went. But in our personal lives, we just keep going. Yeah. And it's like okay, but where's that evaluation of where are we? Are things working for us? Are they not working for us? What do we? What can we adjust? Do we need a performance improvement plan? Like whatever it is, right? That's an important piece. But I don't think many people allow themselves time to say, okay, this is working. This isn't working, and this is what I'm going to try differently. Absolutely, too. So one of my favorite quotes is micro action, macro results. Yes, that's something that you know, what is that what decision right now? What micro action can I take right now that's going to get me to that larger result? And then uh, to speak to the evaluation process, evaluating from love and happiness and joy and abundance, right, rather than uh, scrutiny and and negativity and really beating ourselves down. Um, And it's, it's so all too often in the work that I do and you do, our, it, our clients are just, but I'm never doing good enough. And I even forget sometimes as the helper to remember to stop and be like, no, this was amazing. This is a huge achievement. We don't have to be a year into coaching and then all of a sudden do a whole reevaluation, right? right? Each day is an opportunity for a slight evaluation, a slight right. taking a peek and, and get back back to the power of talking to ourselves. Like, how am I talking to myself and, and really um, evaluating that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I love that idea of, you know, whether it's an evaluation at the end of every week or at the Mm. end of every day, it doesn't take long to say, okay, what went well today? What would I do differently? And what will I do tomorrow? Mm. And it's just, it's an easy way to end the day, reflect on the day. And I think, but in that evaluation piece, it also allows us that opportunity 
to identify the joys of the day. And something else that I work with clients on is that when, I, I love gratitude lists. I think gratitude is an important piece of, of really becoming fulfilled and satisfied in life. However, gratitude lists that start to be redundant for a lot of people. They're, they're, they're grateful, very grateful for the things in life, but they say the same things with it. And that's where I see clients stop doing that. So I rephrase that. It's like, what about a joy list? Every day, what are your joys? And just pick minimum of three. Pick 300, I don't care, but but a minimum of three. Yeah. And the, the challenge I think for a lot of people is they they think these joys have to be these crazy, gigantic, like, you know, and I, I always joke with them. I'm like, if you win the lottery, please put that down. That is an amazing joy. I don't know how right. you could be joyful for that, but that's not the pieces of your day. And I use the, you know, I try and pick an example from my daily life to give it, you know, to help them. So one that I regularly talk about is middle of winter. I was working with a client. I looked over at my desk lamp and there was a ladybug crawling on my lamp. And I like ladybugs. And I'm like, it's the middle of, I think it was even snowing outside. And yet there's this sign of, in my mind, spring and summer crawling on my lamp. And for three seconds, I was completely distracted from my client. I had to explain why and use, built it into our, our coaching session. But that was a joy for me. And it gave me three seconds of just pure happiness. Mm. That's what our days are built around or can be built around instead of looking for the things that were hard and difficult. And it, it changes your whole way of priming your brain to keep looking for those little moments when you're, you just get that sense of everything is good and right. And I think that can build throughout a day or throughout a lifetime. Absolutely. And I love how you're, uh, you're shifting on the, the gratitude piece because we, we get told all the time to do meditation and be express your gratitude and all these things that um, it's like we get told to do them, but it's not necessarily the learning how to apply them to us can be really challenging. And one of my actually business mentors said, said gave it as a to do before the program that we were joining. And it was like, what are three things you're grateful for? What are three things you've done well? Mm-hmm. And what are three things you're happy about? And just the difference in the way that's worded gives you the opportunity to kind of look about it a different way because grateful, it, we get, it's, it's a, the picture next to grateful is so distorted because everyone's using it in a different way and, right. and trying to figure out what that picture looks like for us can be really, really challenging. Um, so be patient, listeners, really talking to listeners, be patient to your, for yourself and, and with yourself so that you're giving yourself the, the, the grace and the space to, to learn and know that your learning process is not going to be a linear line. And, you know, life is, goes in waves, ups and downs, and you're going to have your lows, but the pieces is you're now arming yourself with all of these awesome tools on your tool belt to be able to achieve your goals. And, and when you do have that down, you can start working. Okay. I had this down. This didn't work for me. Now I can go up and not needing to look to outside sources to find those answers like fake book or InstaLi or really any other, other artificial intimacy um, platform that we have access to these days. It's funny, and, and you brought up the social media, and I just was remembering, so on on the uh, Instagram feed I have that I try and use to help clients remember some of the, the, the things we've talked about and just, you know, kind of those little bits uh, and pieces that they could go back to and almost have like a, a warehouse if when yeah. they need those reminders. And one of the words that I talked about this past month, because the idea was building strength from our words and, mm-hmm. and how it changes our perceptions of ourselves. And it was the whole idea of the, uh, even the, the simplistic idea of I'm sorry. Yeah. 
and the idea that uh, again, I, you know, I'm sorry, listeners, I am I am biased because so much of my work is around females, but yeah. the research shows that women say I'm sorry significantly more than men, and that's not to say men don't apologize for mm-hmm. when things are they they've truly done something that's created pain or or a problem for someone else. Then men say I'm sorry as much as women. It is the innocuous situations that don't didn't create pain that mm-hmm. women will still apologize for. So I, I was talking about it from the perspective of you show up late when you're meeting a friend for lunch. You're like, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late. Yeah. And the friend's like, it's fine. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of changing that to thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for waiting for me. I've really looked forward to seeing you or, you know, thank you for taking care of that. Or thank you for taking my, my uh, you know, my schedule into consideration, but I can't make that meeting instead of saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't make it. Mm. When we say I'm sorry, we put ourselves in a place where we're, we're, we're denigrating ourselves. We're apologizing for ourselves rather exactly. than. Yeah. Instead of just saying what it really is, which is, you know, I, I appreciate your patience. Right? I'm human. <laughs> thank you for being patient with my humanness. Exactly. And it just, it is, it, it was funny because that, that post that I did got so much response from, from women. I, yeah. I, it, it was the first one that I really got a lot of reaction either online or through private messages or in person mm. you know, women that I have some kind of either d- direct or indirect connection to were coming up to me when they would see me and be like, Oh my gosh, I've been thinking about you all week. And I keep catching myself. And then I change it to thank you. And I'm like, that's really cool. That that, that, just, that little transition. Exactly. I love that. Is, I love that. It. In 20 second hugs. Those are the two biggest transitions that I see in the work that I do. Uh, when, when I always tell people like you're, if you weren't being malicious, you have nothing to be apologetic for. And I would even take what you said a little step further in the, in the sense of, um, when we're saying, I'm sorry, if, if the other person is upset, you really still don't have anything to be apologetic for, right? That person, if they're challenged with some feelings of whatever's going on, that's some of their struggles that you can't control. You can be there. You can validate them. You can enjoy it. You can still try to engage in the conversation to help them, but you don't deserve or need to apologize for something that is creating a discomfort in, in their body and their human experience, right? Oh, what a great um, opportunity. Yeah, sometimes I'm sorry. It's almost like a close. It's like a, a a closure that then there's no nothing to resolve. You just say I'm sorry, and then nothing comes of it. Yeah. Instead of saying thank you for being honest about your feelings and let me know how I can help. Right. That exactly. just opens up more of that communication to come to a resolution that's good for both parties, rather than one party's apologizing and the other party's like, all right, well, okay, now what? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it, the power of words will never cease to amaze me how it can just change perception and emotion and, and yeah. certainly permanent cognitive changes. I, it's just incredibly powerful to watch happen. It is. And I know I'm taking a little bit outside of our uh, pe- the power of talking to ourselves by bringing up the 20 second hugs, but that's one of the first tasks or things that I, I suggest if any couple or anyone asks me, how can I bridge this gap in my relationship? I always say, start by 20 second hugs before you leave the house and when you get home. And that alone, I'm working with a couple uh, and their children. One of the, the husband is the primary breadwinner and the, the wife stays home and takes care of the kids, which I would consider 
consider her the primary breadwinner because she's actually saving them a lot more money than he's probably taking in just in the cost of raising a, a young family. Um, but she, she was, had a lot of complaints and then he's like, I'm always stressed out and I get home, the kids want my attention. I have to do all this work. And I'm, and he's always running with, you know, his head around with his head chopped off. And, um, as soon as they integrated the 22nd hug into their life, now they kind of have a cuddle puddle, we call them, uh, where they just sit and they hug each other and they give each other that five minutes or so. Cause you know, 22nd hugs with a family of six or so is pretty challenging to just keep it to 20 seconds per person. Um, but that gives them the opportunity. Then the kids aren't bugging him when he gets home and she's feeling relieved because she got this attention. She's been, you know, hanging with the kids all day and needed some other human connection and stuff. So it's really powerful when we start to shift little, little, little things like that. Um, and little things like no shoulds, coulds, and woulds, uh, just our life and the significant change that we can experience in, in those two small shifts. Yep. Absolutely. I would, I, I would agree. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I use the analogy uh, when I used to uh, teach in colleges and in graduate programs, I'd use this analogy and it seems to carry over uh, with my clients. And it's the idea of eating an elephant. Yeah. You're not going to eat the whole elephant at once. You're going to choke and it's just not going to be effective. But if you take just one little bite at a time, eventually you hit your goal and the mm. elephant's gone. So I think that, you know, when people are trying to change their relationships, uh, whether it's marriage or, or just a committed relationship or their interaction with their kids or their whatever it is. It is just those small pieces. And for the focus of, of this discussion and the changes for our relationship with ourselves, mm. it's no different. It's those, mm -hmm. those again, as you said, those micro actions, the, whether or the change in you know, the micro words that we use and it can just create over time these significant changes where we look back and say, how did, how did, when, remember when it used to be? And I don't even know exactly how it shifted yeah. or shifted in these small ways right. um, deliberately. So, yeah. I love it. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for coming and joining us. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome.